All right, just a word about who I am. Um, my name's Sam Griffiths. I'm a lecturer in uh, spatial theory and urban history in the Bartlett School of Graduate Studies. So I'm a historian too, um, not the only one in the room. Um, and that may explain some of the emphases in, in, in what I'm going to show you. Um, I'm here really on behalf of a project I'm involved with called the Adaptable Suburbs uh, Project, uh, led by Professor Laura Vaughan at the, the Bartlett. Um, and really we're interested in getting at this quite difficult idea of adaptability. Um, and I think it follows quite nicely on from what Matthew was saying. In, we're really we're plugging away at trying to get at this idea of adaptability and the complexity of, of uh, sort of high street uh, environments, suburban centres. Uh, and I think really just to say that maybe there's you know something there that we can learn from. Maybe they've been doing something quite well about producing mixed use diversity sort of all along. So I mean, just to reflect a little on the suburbs, is is the is the good life in the suburbs? Um, uh, not according to some of our most noticeable uh, urbanists, uh, designers, and, uh, and social commentators. The last, the last comment is, is Orwell's. Um, um, you can note a spot of condescension, I think, in that. Um, I think, you know, we all know that we would, we, I don't think that any of us, a lot of us will live in a suburb, um, but you can still spot this kind of way, way, way of thinking, which I, you know, I think is if you don't get out and go to these centres, um, you know, you're once tempted in, you know, to stay in UCL and uh, you know, think how wonderful the, the centre of the city is. There are other voices. Um, our property seems to me the most beautiful in the world. It is so close to the city that we enjoy all the advantages of the city, and yet when we come home, we are away from all the noise and dust. Um, a letter written to the king of Persia, uh, 539 BC. So th this kind of relationship between the, the town and, the, and the, the country is an old one, uh, one that's been around for a bit. And I, I think that in a, at a time when we are interested in dispersed uh, urban urbanisms, regional polycentric kind of structures, you know, in a way I think hopefully we can dispense with some of these kind of cliches and, of, of thinking about the suburbs. Um, Another uh, picture I enjoy, you can, it's a very, even earlier than that, you can see a small suburban de uh, development going on uh, outside the uh, Mad Aktu uh, in Persia. Um, you know, the suburbs have been around for a while. Peter Ackroyd says of, of, of London, the suburbs are a result of the city itself. So it's part of a dynamic thing, and that's really the point. You know, the, the suburbs are part of the growth process of the city, and herein lies the complexity. And now on to something completely different, um, but not entirely. I, I like this idea of the suburb as representing the extraordinary and the ordinary, and really I, I, I offer that as, again, just the idea that perhaps we can learn from something. Those of you with, with, or who have had children any time in the last 40 years might recognise this, this reference. Um, it's about a tiger who arrives unexpectedly at a suburban uh, house and ransacks the house for food, um, no one really comments, and off, off the tiger goes. But when Daddy gets home from work, there's no food left. Um, so Daddy says, I know what we'll do, we'll go to the cafe. And it's a, it's a safe enough environment to go in your pyjamas. And they walk out, and the situation is resolved by a kind of a nice little uh, meal in a local cafe. 
it's, it's a nice story, I think, about the kind of the proximity, the, the walkability, uh, and, and the, the, the sort of the, almost the extension of the, li of the living space, but into the public domain that the, the high street sort of represents for us. But I, I think on a more fundamental level as well, I think it's interesting that the author Judith Kerr herself was a kind of a, was from a very wealthy uh, family in, in America, uh, sorry, in, in Germany, who, who came over here to escape the, the Holocaust and found in these environments something, a, a kind of a refuge, uh, uh, something that she found profoundly reliable and something that, that uh, in, in her autobiography she talks about as, as, as something quite unique. So, you know, the suburbs, the ordinary and the extraordinary, you know, things we can learn from. And, you know, they, they have a history. Uh, the, the high street, particularly, you know, the idea of the highway, the main street through, through, through a town or, 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 or between towns. Um, and, you know, if you... If you sort of dig a little bit, you can find these stories of decline and, and narratives of decline are, are sort of go way back. I think the first high street reference in the OED, it's, it's about 1,000. This is from 1938. Um, and it's, you know, you'd recognize it from the Clone Towns report. Um, so again, I, I think just to maybe be, be, be cautious about kind of sort of assuming certain pre present problems kind of are somehow the, the end of the high street. And this is uh, not a particularly great photograph of, of uh, Boreham Wood, one of our sort of recurrent case studies. Um, and, and what I like about it, again, there's, you can see the parade of shops in the, in, in the background. But, you know, there's the market in the foreground. And I think, again, historically, the, the, the kind of the high street-like space has it's been for hawkers, for beggars, for, uh, you know, for, the, the, for parading. All sorts of movement have been instantiated in the high street space. And I think this is where the sort of complexity that Matthew is talking about, at least one aspect of it, the movement complexity, come, comes from. And really, sort of what we're trying to do is, is just have a little look a bit more at the kind of complexity of the space of the, of, of the high street. And, and, and to put some meat on the idea of adaptability. Um, Really, to I think this is to, to repeat something that's almost been said before, but we're quite concerned that and I mean this, these are the you know these sort of boundaries that are required for particular policy interventions very quickly become fixed as the thing itself. Um, but what we call a, a centre is in fact a very kind of relative thing, um, and and we found it useful in in this this project really to distinguish between what we call the live center and the active center, which could sort of roughly translate as the, this kind of, the, the kind of core retail bit and the stuff that goes on around the side. Um, and I think we were, the, the point is really to say what holds this together, what creates the whole, is really a very particular movement structure, a very particular emergent uh, street network, and that's really what we're concerned with. We'd make a similar point that once one starts looking beyond the kind of retail core, um, you see lots of other things. Uh, and we did a very similar uh, study. We, we followed people. Uh, we got students to follow people with, with some, some not always uh, great results. But um, 
we, and we then, some of the people who, who uh, we then kind of interviewed and, and, uh, and, and got to fill in various, uh, sort of tell us various things about where they'd been and what they were doing, how they'd arrived. Um, and I, and I, I think it served well to make the point that, again, it, it's not kind of an, an origin-destination model in a way. People are circulating. And it, it might be the kind of big shot, the big attractor that kind of brings in the business. And I'm not, certainly I'm not saying that's not a very important part of the story. But the kind of low-level noise that makes you want to go there in the first place, that makes the business attractive, it, it, you know, we would suggest is this, this, this kind of ability for movement to circulate very, very easily. And, and our graph is not nearly as neatly presented as, as Matthew's, but, it, but, it, but it, it, it presents the range of other, you, other things that people who bought something did on the high street, from dating to going to the library, posting a letter, walking the dog, non-shopping non things. Um, and I think, the, again, the importance here is the kind of noise, the low level of activity. Um, that, that maybe can sustain, can be worked with, you, to, to kind of, uh, certainly essential to, to, to that, that quality of place that, that, that um, uh, you know, creates the incentive for, for places to adapt and for investment to arrive. Um, and this is kind of, a, some of this comes from a, uh, an approach that, that I'm interested in using. Um, I know some of you in this audience will be like, no, we've heard this. We don't want to know any more space syntax. Um, but what it's good at doing is kind of getting at that question of the linearity. You know, it really kind of prioritizes the, kind of the, the spaces of movement and offers us lots of ways of thinking about the street network. It's one way of thinking. It's not the only way of thinking. Um, but what it allows us to do is kind of think about uh, this notion of pervasive centrality, which um, that is centrality as kind of being there at all scales, to a sense, from the kind of the small parade or corner, corner shot cluster to a really big centre. That we shouldn't just sort of draw circles around the thing and say, right, that's a centre, that that isn't. That in fact, centrality is a very kind of complex phenomenon, and it's relative to where you are um, and how far you can go. Um, and again, thinking in terms of this ongoing noise, it's about the interrelationships between the, the, these different centers that can only be really provided through everyday journeys, short car journeys, pedestrian journeys, rather than, or rather, certainly you can dump the origin destination data within that framework and I would, it starts to make a lot more sense. We're looking at that bit in the corner. Um, Part of the, this project is an historical project, um, and there's a kind of proposition that where there is centrality, stuff will come, builders will build, and that in turn, uh, that deformation, that, uh, the additional network built at that point creates more centrality and more building. So we're looking at, this is Loughton uh, between uh, 1860 and 1960, I think. Um, and the, con the configurational analysis is, is, is really, the, the, again, the proposition is to, is to suggest that where you have a, a kind of a seed, a bit of centrality, then further things will follow. And we're just trying to understand that process, really. And this, this is quite a data-intensive uh, piece of work. Um, and again, thinking of this low level of noise, this kind of, it, uh, the, the idea of ecology, I think, is quite useful. Um, there's a sort of diversity there. Um, There's a lot of attention in paid to thinking about redeveloping the suburbs that goes on the, you know, the big 
centers that then become kind of hubs and fit into this kind of polycentric network. This is quite valid, of course, um, but again, the, where our focus here is really, really on, on, on trying to think about this lower level of activity and understand the contribution it can make. Um, so, and, and as Matthew pointed out, the statistics show there's a lot of actual socioeconomic activity further down the food chain. It's just more widely distributed. And I think the, the, the argument is it's an important part of the story. Um, the, the, the ability to kind of do business, to make stuff happen very locally is not unrelated to the big, sort of bigger successes. Um, and that, that sort of centers at all scales relate to other centers, smaller centers at, at other scales. Again, it's a kind of undermining this idea of centrality seen purely in terms of a retail hierarchy, which is just a self-fulfilling prophecy, ultimately. You know, those places which are at the top of the hierarchy become focal for investment, um, and the other places drop off the other end. It's a more holistic approach. And again, here we're just really starting to, we've got collected a lot of historical land use data from business directories and cartographic sources, and we're just beginning to try and sort of pinpoint this on particular buildings, plots, much GIS fun, um, and just look at the sort of the changes in land use over time in this kind of active and live center model and try and relate this to the properties of the street, the, the street now. We'll see if there indeed, if there is any relationship there. Um, I, th I think quite simply it's noticeable that even where you have a dramatic story here, like the, you know, the amount of production done on site clearly falls dramatically over time. You know, still here what we called industrial activity was still kind of 5% of what was going on. Um, retail decline, the amount of offices, and a um, lot of these small and local businesses increases. So there's a, there's a good story there to, to kind of get interested in. Um, this is South Norwood, um, and this, this kind of pretty picture of lines and, and dots. What we're exploring here is the relationship between the, scale, the different scales at which uh, a stretch of high street or a stretch can be, can be analyzed. You can, you can think of it in terms of all point-to-all point movements, say at, you know, half a kilometre, a kilometre, ten kilometres, to see how streets figure in the network at these different scales. Um, and we would su suggest that a characteristic feature, uh, configurationally speaking, of, of suburban high streets is that they're, they're movement attractors at lots of different scales. So you have this idea of movement being driven through. Now this beca can become a problem when you get too much traffic. Um, but it's an interesting fact, and again, something that we need to understand properly. These are not, you know, th these are spaces that, that have a real resilience built into them. Um, the, the, the slide is showing uh, an, ana uh, an analysis at a different scale, so here at 800 meters, a sort of 10 minute walk distance, um, and the sort of land uses that kind of uh, are picked up in the red line area, which is the area where there is, we, we would predict most movement. And then we go out and study this and count people. This is a, a larger scale again. Um, the proposition is that there's lots of different overlapping scales of movement supported in these centers, and that this creates a kind of robustness in the, num in the amount of uh, activity thing that can go on. Um, and even where you you have a, a, a bad story in part, in part lots of, say, betting shops or, or something that's problematic. They, that's, that keeps things ticking over. Elsewhere, there's scope for something else to happen. But that ability just to keep going is something maybe we shouldn't 
you know, dismissed too lightly. Um, here, I think, again, we're, I'll just, I think what, what's interesting, again, just kind of the same point, really, is how, how the kind of the network is able to, to sustain radically different modes of moving. Uh, walking, uh, horse, cart-driven transport, trams and cars. Um, the kind of morpho the, these suburban morphologies uh, seem very adaptable. Um, and again, I don't think we should, this is the, 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 the uh, this is the kind of uh, 1915 view, this is the contemporary one. Um, we think this is something to do with these kind of, uh, the, 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 the way in which it's a, a structure that works at a variety of scales. So just to summarize, we would say that the future of centers is the same as the past, not to rely on retail alone, but to encourage greater mixing within the block or even the unit. The high street and surrounding area has its own value as a movement attractor, not dependent on, on retail or indeed any big intervention uh, to attract movement. That's an important part of the story, but I would say you can't do it in the absence of, of movement attraction through, just through a, a, a good walkable street network. Smaller centres have the potential to provide a more targeted, genuinely sustainable growth because of their scale and urban form, enabling local and non-local transactions alongside one another. The adaptability of the built environment relates to the ability of the network to carry different movement scales and, and a variety in building topologies. And thinking in terms of considering affordable businesses in the same class as affordable housing, to really kind of, I think, take advantage of what's going on anyway, and actually really trying to, trying to, to kind of work with the, the, the kind of potentials in that environment. Um, and just to close, uh, a nice uh, example of a uh, uh, mixed use within one, uh, you know, I, I don't know, you can get a wig and you can pick up a power drill. That's my kind of shop. You know. um, uh, and here, and again, I don't, you know, it would be an exaggeration to say this is the dominant story, but it, it, it is interesting how businesses, maybe often set up in a kitchen or in someone's shed, then sort of move on to the high, high, high street and they need some sort of space there. And again, it's that variety in morphology, both at the, in, in architectural terms and in terms of street morphology, that's so important to give them somewhere to go that, that isn't very expensive, you know, and, and a sort of a series of steps to progress through. So we've got cake making, uh, but a sort of cycle repairing. It's sort of not exactly industrial production, but something, something interesting, I think, in that respect. Um, uh, that's the members of our project. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks. So let's uh...